It's Monday, June 15th. We're studying 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. We've reached verse number 14. So take a look at the context here with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm talking a lot about the end of the world, which is bad news for the false teachers and the mockers, good news for God's people. And after all of this, speaking of our great hope in verse 13 about a promise of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, which hopefully got us excited on Friday. Here comes verse 14. Therefore, and now we have an exhortation pastorally in verse 14, our verse for the day. Beloved, loved by God and loved by Peter, of course, since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And then we're going to have some more here tomorrow in verse 15. So this phrase right here, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, that should sound very familiar, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, I just want you to look at this word right here. We've dealt with it a lot in verse uh, the verse we see, the word we see in verse 14, we've dealt with it a lot. Look at it. It's three times in three verses, same Greek word, same English word here, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. It says, according to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and earth. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting. So all of these have to do with the fact that we are to be anticipating. And we've talked a lot about that in the last two sessions of our study, because this is more than just sitting around, wrapping our fingers on a desk and, you know, killing time while Jesus comes back. This is about us actively, as we saw here in verse 12, uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord. Then we see the great promise as opposed to what the mockers think about it. We're anxiously awaiting it. We're eagerly awaiting it. And therefore, since we have that perspective on it, then we've got some things to do. So waiting, waiting, waiting. This is an active kind of waiting. And I thought I would at least put here your attention on 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, which describes this. Obviously, the, the Greek word is not here. The English word is not here, waiting. But we see what the attitude is toward uh, the coming of the Lord. Uh, Paul is at the end of his ministry. He's going to be killed. He knows that they're uh, going to execute him. And he said, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. We've been thinking a lot about that day in 2 Peter 3. And not only to me, but here's a great, great phrase here, to all who have loved his appearing. There's a good pastoral challenge just embedded in that, isn't there? All who have loved his appearing. I mean, you can't love is appearing unless you think about his appearing you can't you know learn to love is appearing unless it's a regular fond and excited kind of eager anticipation of his return so i just think there's a high standard right there but a good one to love is appearing is the kind of waiting that we're talking about in our passage so we want to wait with an anticipation and eagerness because we can't wait to see christ and his kingdom come then we have this word diligent. And when I read that, I hope that sounded familiar to you. If you've been keeping track of our uh, study here through 2 Peter, if you were with us at the very beginning, you remember in chapter 1, we had this word. And it's an interesting Greek word. And it use, it's used here in this passage. Same exact word here in verse number 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Got to be more diligent than we have been to, conform, to confirm your calling and election if you practice these qualities. So I've got some work to do in that list that we've talked about there of those virtues in the beginning of the book. And then he says, now go all out. Verse 15, later in the passage, is make every effort uh, so that after my departure, you may be able 
uh, at any time to recall these things. This phrase right here, same idea. Diligent, make every effort, same word underlying this, and this is our word here. So we know this is a throwback to the beginning of the book, that as I eagerly anticipate and await the coming kingdom, good for us, vindication for us, judgment on the enemies that were stubborn against God and against his truth, uh, I need to be diligent to do some things here, which is not giving me the things to do, rather the goal. And so let's look at that goal. First of all, to be found in him are found by him, uh, which is the same Greek word, but the idea here is, uh, it's not used as a preposition, there's no preposition in this Greek sentence, which is probably a sentence I shouldn't have started by saying, but it's built into this phrase, built uh, built into this phrase, to be found uh, by him. I'm going to be found, I'm going to be uh, evaluated, I'm going to have a time where he finds me in the work that I'm doing and the parables we've already quoted of Christ. We want to be actively doing the things he's called to do when he comes. Uh, and that has to do with our future evaluation. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? This is the passage about the gray issues. We often call them the disputable matters as, as it's translated in the beginning of chapter 14 of Romans. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Talking to Christians now. We're not talking about the great white throne judgment to be assigned a place of punishment. But as he quotes now in Isaiah, he says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue confess to God. You remember that allusion also. We remember Paul uses that in Philippians chapter 2. So then, knowing we're going to have to stand before God and we're going to bow down before God, this initial connection with God, we're going to be judged or evaluated. So then each of us will, here's a good way to put it, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And we've talked about that in our study, but we have to give an account one day to God, and it begins even by the state in which we're found. What kind of Christian life were you living? So to be found in Him. And this is the thing. This ought to be the motivation in the Christian life, to be found in Him in the right way. We'll look at those words in a minute. But I want to think about His arrival. I want to think about His coming. To love His coming, I hope would adjust the things that we're doing, anticipating and imagining His arrival and what I will be you know, engaging in, how I'll be living my life. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he says, Now little children abide in him, which is a word that Jesus used, and John recorded it over there in uh, John 15. But he says in his epistle here, Abide in him, stay with him, remain in him, be connected to him, be relationally close to him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, as opposed to not shrinking back. And do not shrink back from him at shame at his coming. There's a great reminder of the fact that Christ could walk into the room, so to speak. He could step through the door. The judge is standing at the door. James says he could arrive at any time. It's like a classroom that's kind of, uh, the, the teacher stepped out, if you remember that back from your childhood, and, uh, and, and, and the class can be chaotic. Well, when the teacher walks in, the teacher wants to find you taking the test or whatever it is that you were supposed to be doing, and we don't want to shrink back when the authority, Christ our King, comes and, and arrives, we don't want to shrink back in shame. We'd rather be confident. So that's the idea here, being found in him in the right disposition, right state, the right behavior. Uh, if you know that he is righteous, which of course is always the concern here as it relates to being found in him, and just to summarize it from First John, in a righteous state, doing righteous things, we may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, not in perfection, of course, but as a regular pattern of life has been born of him. That's evidence of our Christian life. So be found in him. To be found in him, we're going to have to stand before him. And just because we've quoted a lot, I was debating whether to take us to this passage, but Jude, so many things parallel Jude, this little one-chapter book in Second Peter 
uh, chapter two. So I thought I would at least return to it because the ending of the book, the doxology as we call it, doxa uh, is the word glory, uh, the, the statement that glorifies God at the end of this book has the same idea here. Take a look at it, uh, verses 24 and 25. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, there's another way to put it, another analogy, tripping, uh, and to present you blameless before his presence, uh, blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, not shame, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and, and majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forevermore. Amen. So the idea of being uh, before the presence of God at his arrival, before his presence when he shows up, this is the idea. I want to be at joy. I want to have peace. I want to be content. I want to be confident. I don't want to be in, in shame. So he uses two words here, spot and blemish, uh, that he likes to use. Actually used it in the first epistle, First uh, Peter chapter 1. I didn't put that on the screen, but talks about the Lamb of God. Same phrase without spot or blemish. But this has a moral connotation to it. Like a lamb, we literally would look at whether it has spots or blemishes. You wouldn't be able to offer that at the sacrifice to the Levites in the Old Testament. Uh, and Jesus is analogized as a lamb, a lamb that's without spot or blemish. But of course, that has a moral connotation, uh, but not clear in that analogy. I guess it's clear and logical. There's not many options for you there. But I want to make it clear with passages like 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, 13 and 14 Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. To keep the commandments, we're talking about doing the things that God has said. He didn't suggest them. They're not you know, recommendations or opinions. They're commands. Uh, keep them, here's the idea, unstained, same word, by the way, uh, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Reproach. Someone that could look at you and say, you're not doing it. You blew that off. You have you know, no interest in those commands. And so we are the people that are trying to keep these commandments unstained. So the moral idea is without the stain, without the blemish, without the spot. Same word here, spot different translation in English. Or another usage of this Greek New Testament word in James chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, it says, uh, religion that is pure, not a bad word, by the way, that's a different discussion, but religion, Jews, is a bad thing. We want relationship, not religion. Well, I get all that. I think I know what you mean by that, but religion is not a bad word in Scripture. Uh, matter of fact, there's a religion that is pure and it's undefiled before God. And then you give some examples here, like the person that cares enough about people to visit the orphans and the widows in their trials or their struggles or their affliction, and to keep oneself, here's our word, unstained, translated the same in these two passages, unstained from the world, the same word here, spot. Uh, so we don't want stains, we don't want blemishes on our life, and we see here it's a kind of life that is different than the world that's only concerned about themselves, Right? They don't go and you know, visit nursing homes just, just you know, to visit strangers. You know, they're not reaching out in the name of Christ to do good things, uh, not the way that Christians do. They do it for God and for God, for the audience of one in so many cases, even if people don't see it. Now, but the idea is not like the world and unstained because I'm keeping the commandment. That's the idea, the, the um, moral nature of these two words here, spot and blemish. Uh, I would also add Philippians chapter 3, just to show you that this idea of being found in him without spot or blemish is a picture that's discussed here in this passage to be able to be found in him. I just want to reference that. I know we're running out of time, but I, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order to gain that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
uh, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that's from God depends on faith. So I'm going to be found in him in one sense through my justification because I am right with God. I'm aligned with God. And that's very important. Uh, but there's a practice as I think about God appearing and I think about the fact that, yes, um, I might as well read it, the, the kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And we are that now. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it didn't know him. Beloved, we are now his children. We are his children now. But what we will be, the change in glorification and the union with Christ, the kingdom, reigning and ruling with Christ, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, right, this is the theme of our passage. We're waiting for his arrival. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So there's a complete sense of being completely like him when he appears. But right now, everyone who has, who thus hopes, who thinks this way, who hopes this way, who has that diligent, excited, waiting anticipation, well, he purifies himself. I guess the parallel there is the diligent effort. He purifies himself as he is pure. And that's the idea without spot or blemish. So um, Romans chapter 5. I want to talk just about real briefly as we wrap this up about peace. To be found without spot or blemish, we want to live a godly Christian life in light of the coming of Christ at peace. Well, I've already spoken in that passage in Philippians 3 about the idea, first of all, thinking in the first reference, I want to be at peace, first of all, at peace with God. And that's how I am ultimately in my justification without any spot or blemish. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2, and I guess I should think about even Ephesians chapter 5, the idea of the church, the analogy there in the passage is a marriage, but the Christ gave himself so that he could present us without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any kind of thing that mars our uh, standing before God. So Christ does that, and we have our standing in justification that way. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the peace here with God because there's no longer any sin on my account. And through him, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can look forward with anticipation that Christ's going to come back not as our judge to condemn us, but at peace with him because he's now our advocate, because he's accepted us, because we have faith in Christ. But there's also a peace, and because we don't know what the reference is in particular that Peter might have had in mind, I think the Holy Spirit shows throughout the Bible he has a few things in mind, not only our justification, but also the circumstantial kind of peace we have in our hearts, the internal peace. He says, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus now speaking before he goes to the cross. My peace I give to you. He's the kind of peace that could sit there in the hull of a boat in the midst of a storm and fall asleep and he's not freaked out because he has internal peace. Circumstances don't take that away from him. Not as the world gives. The world gives it based on the fact do you have insurance? Uh, do you have the right sailor in place? Do you, you know, make sure this uh, craft is seaworthy? That, that's not, the world tries to do it circumstantially. He gives a different kind of peace. And what are we talking about? Just to make clear what we're talking about. Let, your hearts not, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. We're talking about the lack of fear. We're talking about the lack of anxiety. And that's the kind of peace we already found in him without spot or blinkle, uh, without spot or blemish rather, and at peace. We want to have this kind of peace, not only a justification, but an internal peace that's not based on circumstance. And I should also say, just to round out the ways this is used in scripture, let me close with this, Galatians chapter five, verse 15, we should be at peace with one another, which is the absence of this. We should not be biting and devouring one another, which I see a lot of, frankly, right now, and it's very disheartening for me. I wanna make sure that we as Christians are not engaged in biting and devouring one another. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. We want to be a church that Paul doesn't have to say that about us. I mean, obviously he's not watching us here in the 21st century, but in the first century, he could look at people in the churches of Galatia and say, I don't want this. You're going to 
bite and devour each other, which is a metaphor, of course, for the way they're attacking each other. They're not at peace relationally. And I know that we want to be at peace relationally when it comes back. We'd like to also be at peace in terms of our own heart. We're not anxious. We're not fearful. And we'd like to ultimately, and most importantly, uh, be found by him because we're found in him in justification. And we have a complete hope and confidence that is coming. We're not ashamed of his coming because we have peace with God. There you go. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. That's our study for today. Tomorrow we get into verse number 15 as we near the end of this great book in Second Peter. We'll see you then. 